Amen. Let's take our seats together. Just over these next uh, couple of weeks, the Lord has led uh, some messages on my heart. Um, it's a series of messages, and the title is Conquering Canaan. Conquering Canaan. Thank God this morning, as we read, that we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. And we'll look at this over the next uh, few weeks. You know, God is, is dealing with His church, I believe, in a remnant church in the last days. I believe there's a remnant, that's a, a people that are well saved, washed in the blood of Jesus, born of the Spirit. And they're a remnant in the last days that uh, stand for the Lord, stand for truth, but not only stand, that they will see mighty things in God that God is about to work uh, for His glorious coming, for Jesus coming back, that He is going to demonstrate His kingdom uh, amongst the kingdoms of this earth. And that will be through a remnant church. And it is likened to um, Israel in the Old Testament. We often look at the types and the shadows through Israel. As Israel stood on the verge of Jordan, they were about to enter into the promise that God had given them, the inheritance, uh, the word of the Lord that had come to them, and they were about to cross over and into everything that God had for them. All they had was a promise and God, and all you need in these days is God's word and God. If God be for us, who can be against us? And that is the people of God in this last days, that remnant is about to go over into what God has for them. God had spoken to them in Deuteronomy chapter 11, in the fifth book of Moses, Deuteronomy. We understand here that they'd come to the end of their wanderings. And now God was speaking to them through His servant Moses to encourage them, to remind them, to instruct them, to rebuke them, that they must go in and possess everything of what God had for them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, if you want to follow it this morning in your word, in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 24, we see here Moses is speaking into the hearts of this generation of people that are about to enter into what God had for them. Deuteronomy 11, verse 24, he gives them a promise. He says, every place, every place, Whereon the soldier of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness and Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates, even unto the uttermost sea shall, be, shall your coast be. There shall be no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that ye shall tread upon as he has said unto you. So we read here that God and through Moses was instilling into the people that as they're about to enter into the fullness, their inheritance of what God had for the children of Israel, that God was with them. And they had an instruction to go in and they had to dispossess, as it were, the enemy by faith and the promises of God that God would give them, what does it say? Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread is yours. God had given them the land. They had a responsibility to take a hold of the Word of God through faith and obedience and enter into everything that God had for them. If you turn over into the book of Joshua chapter 1, we see here a passing over, as it were, of the baton 
And, and, and there is a, a, a liking here that I want to pick up on, uh, something that we should note. It says there in verse 2 in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord says, Moses, my servant, is dead. There was a death, but in that death there must be a resurrection. That's the law that is led throughout Scripture. In every death there's a resurrection, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die... Then comes that resurrection. Jesus Christ died, praise the Lord, on the third day. He rose again triumphant. In our lives there's a death to self and there's a resurrection to that new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see a passing here from, as it were, that wilderness experience. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise. God was speaking to his people to rise up in the promises and the faith and the instruction that God had given them, and go over this Jordan, now and all this people, unto the land which I did give you, even to the children of Israel. And the promise is repeated again. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses. They're reminded again on the verge of Jordan, entering into the promise and into the, into Canaan's land, that God had given them a promise that this belonged to them. It was their land. God had promised it, but by faith they had to possess that and dispossess, as it were, the enemy that was against them. This moment in, in the history of Israel was a, a very significant moment. It didn't happen overnight. There was years in the preparation. You know, God is preparing His people in this hour. There's a preparation time. If you think that there's nothing happening, you'd be incorrect. God has been preparing a people in these last days, a vessel for His name and for His honor. It's been in the process for years. His eternal purpose is being fulfilled. God is at work brothers and sisters, whether you feel that or sometimes you may not see that or sense that. But God is at work preparing an end time vessel. That is the church, the vehicle by which he'll express his son by the power of the Holy Ghost and demonstrate his kingdom on this earth in power and might and for the glory of Jesus Christ. This process, just like in Israel, the preparation period has begun I believe it's begun a long time ago, long before today, that there's been a preparation period. God was preparing, making ready. He was honing the vessel. He was changing the vessel. He was taking away the things that shouldn't be there. He was putting us on the potter's wheel. He's been molding us. He's been conforming us to the image of His Son. There's a sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost in these days. Some days you may not feel that. Some days you might feel a bit numb or you don't know what's going on. But I want to tell you, if you belong to Jesus, Jesus is preparing a vessel for His glory and for His honor. He is coming back for a glorious bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe before He comes for that bride, that bride will demonstrate the kingdom of God, not only in word, but in power and in demonstration for the glory of Jesus Christ. So God's preparing a people. And so like Israel here, this moment on the, on the banks of the river Jordan, now we see the preparation period had come 
to, uh, as it were, an end, and now they were being propelled, as it were, into the purpose of God and what God had for them. But the preparation period, I want you to hear me this morning, was vital. It was vital. Before they ever got to the place of conquering Canaan, there was a preparation in their hearts and in their lives that was vital for them as they marched forward into conquering Canaan. We know these people, the people of Israel, God's people, had come through so much, some significant periods in their lives. The date was the passing of the, through the Red Sea. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what you'll find here are significant uh, types and shadows of what we are in today in the new covenant. Here Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you be ignorant that how our, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. This is a type of when you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are baptized into the body of Christ. That's not a denomination, that's not a label, that's not a name, but you are baptized in by one Spirit into the body of Christ. That's the uniqueness of the body of Christ all over this world, regardless of the color of a man or woman's skin or the tongue that they speak with. If they're born of the Spirit of God, you'll immediately have a kindred spirit with them. Because they're born of the same Spirit. And so the liken here of the Red Sea crossing is us being baptized into the body of Christ. You just move in a couple of chapters into verse uh, chapter 12 and verse 13. It says, Therefore by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into that one Spirit. So it was likened to the children of Israel passing through the Red Sea. For 40 years they wandered in a wilderness. God all that time was preparing a people. This generation that had come to the banks of the Jordan, had not witnessed the passing through the Red Sea. Most of them hadn't. They had not witnessed the Passover in Egypt, the initial one. They had not witnessed the mighty deliverance that God had delivered His people from in Egypt, crushing the greatest army on the earth and delivering two million people in one night. Most of them had never seen this. They were wandering in a wilderness. They had never seen the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and the mighty thunders and the roars and the clouds and the blackness. They had never seen most of the great miracles that had taken place, but they had been led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They had experienced every morning fresh manna. They had experienced that their clothes never waxed old in the shoes of their feet. They had experienced the provision of God. Think about it for a moment if you could. Two million slaves in Egypt. And God had a purpose and a plan to deliver them from under the grip of the greatest army on planet earth. The Egyptian army. 
God had a plan to deliver two million people out of the grip of, of that great army, that great government of that time, deliver two million people out of that, bring them down, bring them through a Red Sea, crush their enemy behind them. Then he had to feed them, water them, clothe them, guide them, direct them, provide for them, be unto them all that they needed, bring them right through that wilderness, right up to the verge of the River Jordan. Two million people, what an operation. How could you plan it in the natural? You couldn't. But supernaturally, by the almighty power and the great hand of God, God delivered them. God brought them out. God loaded their pockets with the treasures of Egypt. He would not permit a dog to bark at them. And in one night, they were delivered by the mighty hand of God. They were brought to the Red Sea. He parted it as Moses the servant lifted the rod. And as they walked through and dry ground and turned, they watched as the greatest army on earth was destroyed by the mighty hand of Almighty God. He led them through a wilderness. He never failed them once. He fed them. He watered them. He guided them. And he brings them right through to the verge of the river Jordan to lead them in to the fullness of what he had for them. You know and I know that God wants to move his people. I want you to hear me this morning very carefully because I believe that God, if he's able to move two million, he's able to move a hundred. I'm going to say that again. That's you, by the way. If God's able to move two million, God's able to move you and I. God wants to move you. Think about it this morning. If you're in this place, you're saved. You love the Lord. If you're not saved, God wants to move you as well. He wants to move you from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. He wants to translate you out of darkness and bring you in to the kingdom of his dear son. He wants to save you. But as the people of God in the remnant church of the last day, I want you to just listen to me individually first. God wants to move you. Are you willing to be moved? God wants to move you. Are you willing to be moved? Are you willing to allow God to move you from where you are spiritually and bring you into everything that he has for you? Individually and corporately, God wants to move the remnant church. He wants to move it into what he has for it. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, if you turn back, and verse 1, God speaks to his people through Moses, Deuteronomy 2 and verse 1, and it says these words, Then we turned, and we took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord had spake unto me. And we compassed Mount Seir many days. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. In other words, God is saying, It's time! You've gone round this mountain too long. You've been treading along, doing your thing, gone round the same old mountain, gone through the same old religious ritual, and God says, it's time to move. Amen. You see that term, and we compass Mount Seir many days. 
You might think just initially reading that, that that was just maybe a couple of weeks. But actually that phrase encompasses the whole 38 years to this point of them wandering in the wilderness. What God is saying, you've gone through this wilderness now for 38, nine years. I have fed you, I've watered you, I've clothed you, I've kept you, I've guided you with my hand. But now it's time, in this time and in this day, that I want to move you into what I have for you. You've done this long enough. You've lived this, and I'm saying this, and it may not be theologically perfect, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. You've lived this second grade Christianity long enough. You have gone through the motions long enough. You have just come trooping in and out long enough. God's saying it's time that you're going to move. He wants to move his people. He wants to take the remnant church and move it forward into everything that he has for it. We've gone round this too long. What had happened in that time was a new generation had been birthed. A new generation. And if you ever look at a map with a suggested map of Israel in the wilderness, it looks a little bit confusing, but God's not the author of confusion. God was working that whole time. What for? He was bringing forth a new generation And that generation was about to enter into everything that God had for them. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this morning, we all have a Canaan to conquer. We all have a Canaan to conquer. I know that Canaan is a type of heaven, but I also believe there's a Canaan in our lives that we need to conquer. There's a Canaan that we need to possess. There is, there is a life that we need to enter into in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is something by faith that we must go into and enter into everything that God has for us. If you're going to conquer Canaan, there has to be a dramatic change in the heart and in the mindset of the people. I want to say that again. There had to be a dramatic change in the heart of Israel and then a dramatic change in their mindset. Long before Israel under Joshua reached Jericho, reached the walls and seen the giants, the heart of Israel had been changed and the mindset was entirely different. There was a change in heart towards serving God God had eliminated from that congregation what was so common was a murmuring spirit. There was a, there was a murmuring in the tents of the people and God had eliminated that in order that he would bring them to the place that they're going to enter in and conquer Cain. We love to preach about the walls coming down. We love to preach about the giants falling. I love it. I'll preach it. But long before they got to Jericho, They had to conquer their carnality. You see, God was about to do an adjustment. 
a mindset adjustment. You know the word mindset means an established set of attitudes. There was a lot of attitude in the wilderness. There was a lot of attitude in the wilderness. You know, when they initially heard about a land that God had for them, they were excited about that. When they sent in the spies and the report came back, straight away they said, in our sight, we're just grasshoppers in the sight of these giants. Do you know what the Bible says? That they wept all night. They actually wept all night when they considered that there was giants, but they were just grasshoppers. Then they began to murmur. I know it never happens in the church in Ulster that it never murmurs. Never, never would you find murmuring in the church of Jesus Christ. But they began to murmur against Moses and against Aaron. And know what they said? Let's remind ourselves what they said. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt. Can you take that in for a moment? Or would God that we had died in this wilderness, we'd better be going back to Egypt under Pharaoh than going through with God? Can you believe that they would say such a thing? That they would be willing to turn back in the day of battle? When they got a little bit thirsty, God began to test them. There was no water, it tells us in Exodus 15. And when they find the water, the water was bitter. And you know what they said? What are we going to drink now? They began to murmur against God. And only Moses put that tree in that water, turned those bitter waters sweet, and God provided for them. They began to murmur against God. Then they got hungry. And then they began to say, Now you brought us out to this wilderness. You're going to kill us. You're going to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And God began to deal with the people. There actually got a point in Exodus 17 that when Moses went to God about all the troubles, he said, Lord, these people are about to stone me to death. Think about that. In Exodus 32, the Lord says to Moses, I've seen this people and they're stiff-necked. They're stiff-necked. That just means they're stubborn. You can't move them. I don't know why you know anyone who's really stubborn. But they're hard to move. And so the Lord was saying this people are... And then Miriam and Aaron, they began to speak against Moses because they found a flaw that he had married an Ethiopian woman. Well, does God just speak through him? God can speak through me too. And you had all this going on with the God that had delivered two million people, brought them out of Egypt, brought them through a Red Sea, destroyed Pharaoh's army, wanted to bring them in, and the whole way they're murmuring and complaining. I know it doesn't happen. I know it never happens with us. With all of us, we never murmur. Sure, we don't murmur. Then in number 16, it tells us about 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, it says, men of renown. And they decided to get themselves together and they would come up against Moses. Can you believe this? 
Is this something of a shock to you that something like this would actually happen? Let me tell you, friends, before we ever conquer Canaan, God has to deal with the flesh. There has to be a change in attitude. Have you ever heard the saying, boy, they've got attitude? He's got attitude, she's got attitude. Well, what we should have is the be attitudes, not an attitude. There has to be a change of heart. Here's why. Do you think that it's possible? Now, what is preventing the church of Jesus Christ in Ulster moving into what God has for it? Do you think it's possible that it's nothing to do with the devil, but it's to do with carnality? Now, I believe in a real devil. I believe in strongholds. Wicked strongholds will come to them in conquering Canaan. But I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. I don't fear the devil because the devil's a defeated foe. My Bible tells me that I am more than a conqueror through the Lord Jesus Christ. My Bible tells me that the devil was defeated on that central cross. The Bible says that we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, not loving our lives unto death. We have the victory in Jesus. But is it possible that what hinders the church more than anything else is not the devil, but it's carnality? Now think about it for a moment. Is it possible that everything of what God wants to do with our lives to move us into that place with God, to pour out of His Spirit, to fill us, to baptize us in the Holy Ghost, and to move us into what He has for us, is it possible it's nothing to do with the devil hindering us, even though that is possible, but it's more to do with the carnality that's in the church of Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. If you turn over to Galatians chapter 5, this is why I believe this is true. Galatians 5 and verse 16. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. This is what Paul writes. Galatians 5 and 16. This I say then, what does he say? Walk in the Spirit. Now we are going to conquer Canaan. It's going to be a spiritual people. It's going to be a spiritual people. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill what? The lust of the flesh. Now here's a great battle. Verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, capital S. The flesh is against the Holy Spirit. Could I tell you, just in case you're thinking, I'm trying to get at someone, I'm really not. But what I am talking about is your flesh and mine. Because it's all the same. The flesh, my flesh, is against the Holy Ghost. It's against what God wants to do. My flesh is. Can I tell you, I don't want to burst your bubble, but so is yours. Your flesh is the same. All our flesh is rotten. Get that this morning. It's against what the Spirit wants to do. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, hear this this morning, is against the flesh. Do you hear that? The Holy Ghost is against the flesh. He's against the flesh. And these 
to the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. Then, what does it say? Would you read it out with me? So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. I want us to read that again. You didn't read it very well. Sorry. Let's read it. So that ye cannot do the things that ye would. How many people believe that all things are possible to them that believe? Would you say amen? amen? We believe that this morning. We believe that every wall can be broken down. We believe that every stronghold can be broken. We believe that every devil can be cast out in the name of Jesus. We believe that Christ is the answer for this country, for this land. We believe that God sets prisoners free. We believe that Jesus breaks every chain. We believe that he heals everybody. We believe he's the answer to a broken world. We believe in a God that can do anything. Nothing's impossible to them that what? Believe. But we've got to be in the Spirit. Often this is left out from largely a lot of the Pentecostal charismatic teaching that this part has nothing to do with it. I just need to quote it all day. I need to just stand and quote the word all day. But friends, it's more than I quote the word. i got to be in the Spirit. Someone prayed it this morning. I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day. There has to be a walk in the Spirit. Because if we don't walk in the Spirit, then we're in the flesh. And the Bible says when we're in the flesh, we cannot do the things that we would what God wants to do, what He desires to do, what God wants to do in your life and bring you deeper into Himself. He wants you to walk in the Spirit by faith and obedience to His Word. There's an alignment to God's way. Colossians 2 and 10 says these words, that we are complete in Him. He's the head of all principality and power. Colossians 2 and 10 and whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about a booting off, the booting off the body of sins of the flesh. There's a crucified life. There's a dying to self. There's a taking up your cross. There's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that lives in me. How does that happen? There's a death to ourselves. I wish I'd have grasped this on day one of my born again experience. I didn't. But I wish I had got it. There's a death to that flesh. To try to live the Christian life in the strength of your flesh. I want to save you the trouble. It's impossible. It's impossible. There's a warfare in your heart. The warfare that really takes place in the life of every believer is the warfare between the flesh and the spirit. And when we walk in the flesh, when we live in the flesh, we can't do the things that God wants us to do. We can't experience. Brothers and sisters, we want to see God fill every life with the power of the Holy Ghost. To enter into everything that God has for us. Every individual. But if our hearts, if we're in the flesh, if we're holding things in the body of sin, 
If we're holding something against a brother or a sister and we're saying, fill me anew, friends, it will not happen. There has to be a death. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now arise. The walk in the Spirit, the booting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. And this is what water baptism is. Listen to me. I loved, I've seen a little clip, someone showed me it, and I've watched it so many times, of the little black boy getting water baptized. I don't know where some of you have seen it, but he's standing in the waters, he's probably five years old, and the reverence there with all the, all the gear on, and he's standing there and he says, well, we're going to baptize him. And he says, just do it! And he, and he threw his head under the water. He was so excited about dying and living for Jesus. This water baptism is not just something we go through the motions about. This is about a life that says, it's no longer me. I'm dead. I'm buried. But I'm alive with Jesus Christ. Friends, it's a death to self. We've taken this out of the gospel. We've just said only believe. I believe and only believe. But there has to be a death. Put off the body of sins of the flesh. There has to be a putting off to put something on. But that something is so precious. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the sins of the flesh? I'm so thankful that the Bible's explicit. It's clear. There is no gray areas. People say there's gray. There is no gray areas in the scriptures. It's black and white. In Galatians chapter 5, if you go back to it, remember, if we're in the flesh, we cannot do the things that we would. But in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19, then Paul explicitly reveals to us the sins of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, verse 19, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Now some of these words we don't use in the sense of everyday language. We don't use some of these words so we may not understand what they mean. But I think it's important that we should understand them clearly. Adultery, of course, is if a man takes another, another man's wife or a wife takes another man's husband. But Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I'll tell you, Jesus raises the bar, doesn't he? If you're looking at someone with a lustful heart, Jesus says you're committing adultery with her in your heart. Women, if you're looking at a man with lust in your heart, listen, we're all adults in this room, then you're committing adultery in your heart. Fornication or sexual impurity 
I want you to listen to me carefully this morning. I know, I know that perhaps a lot of people might not be too pleased that some things are said, but I believe we need to be clear and honest. We have a pornography pandemic, to use a word that we're hearing often. We have a pornography pandemic. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying homes. It's destroying children's minds. It has been linked to a mental health crisis. It has been the source, I believe, of the explosion of sexual impurity across our nation. There is an identity crisis among our young people, I believe. The main source of that is the internet and it is pornography. And we want to keep it all under the carpet. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want it preached. We shouldn't really hear it, many would say, from the pulpit. But if you don't hear it from here, where will you hear it from? Sadly, the church is not immune from the infiltration of the world into the church itself. We cannot do the things we want to do because of the sins of the flesh. We have a pandemic. Listen, folks. It's a pornography pandemic. Lives are being destroyed. Christian men and women are confessing in large numbers to watching pornography. It has destroyed their callings. It has destroyed their minds. It has given them a wrong view, a satanic view of what God has created for a man and a woman to come together. The devil works in darkness. He works in silence. And he works effectively to destroy so many men who are called by God into the ministry of Jesus Christ. I read a statistic, and I believe it to be true. 90% of young people found that it was more concerning that people didn't recycle than it was to watch pornography. That's shocking. We have so many that are trapped. Listen to me, trapped. God has a plan, the purpose for their life, and they're completely trapped by the power, by the addiction, by the demonic stronghold of pornography. Young people are being destroyed. You know, when we were growing up, we had no mobile phones. That's just the way it was. But you know, as warfare has developed, for example, you know, I watched the other night that uh, dome, that defense dome in Israel, and those rockets are coming out, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and this defense dome that was, was just, it was actually amazing, the advancement of, of warfare. You take this back 150 years ago, we were still riding it on horses. It's nearly hard to imagine. I want to spiritualize that and how the enemy is has used technology in these last days to infiltrate the minds of so many people, particularly the young, but not exclusive to the young, 
And pornography has poured into our nation. It has absolutely destroyed our moral compass. Lives and minds are being destroyed in their hundreds. And the worst about all of this is that this is normal. It's normal. I want to tell you something, friend. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me clear. But I really want you to hear the heart of God this morning. If there's anybody, I want you to hear me this morning. Hear me, hear me, hear me. If there's anyone in this room that's in a place where they're struggling and they're becoming tangled, I want to tell you something, friend. There's a way out. You hear me this morning. You find someone that you can trust. You find someone. What I mean by that is, know the worst thing. Know what the worst thing in ministry is? That as someone goes, say for example, I'm a male and I want to go to James and share something. And it's something private. Here's integrity in ministry. Here's what it is. And James shares what I've burdened off my burden my heart. He shares it with Emma. That's his wife. I understand that. But then, and I'm not in any way, but then Emma felt she's going to share it with someone else and someone else and someone. And then the whole church knows what's happening. That's not integrity in ministry. That's destroying someone's life. You find someone that loves you and you can trust. But you unburden your heart, and I want to tell you a few things. Number one, you listen to me this morning. I know God's got me to preach this message for someone. And if it's someone's deliverance and someone's freedom, I'll preach it. God loves you. That's what I want to tell you. God has a plan for your life. God is a mighty deliverer. God sets a prisoner free and God keeps him free. There's a walk in the Spirit that you can walk free. Don't be deceived as the devil tells you to stay in secrecy. Tells you to stay in darkness. Tells you that there is no answer that you'll never be free. He's a liar. We have a pandemic of immorality that's swept in to every avenue of our society. The reason, friend, listen to me, the reason why young people have lost their identity is because at midnight they've been sitting on screens and they've been influenced by the dark powers of Satan in their mind, and they don't know who they are anymore. But God knows who you are, and God's got an identity. I'm not saying in any way that it's all like that. I know that God has done a mighty work in many lives, and to God be the glory. But God wants to move you. You've gone round this mountain too long. You've gone round this mountain too long. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. But there has to be a death. Listen, there has to be a... I wish, 
I wish I'd have got this revelation the day I got saved. There has to be a death. The Spirit's against the flesh. No matter how well we brush it up and make it look nice, the Spirit is against the There has to be a death. But in the death, listen to me, there's a resurrection. There's a life you can live in the power of the Holy Ghost. We've come to a day of complete... I just plead with you if you're here. You can, if you feel comfortable, but you can talk, you can share, you can come. We'll pray with you. I can tell you, friend, I can tell you in all honesty, you share something with me in confidence, it'll go to the grave with me. I can tell you that now. But God wants you to be free. It talks about idolatry. Have you ever seen a day with more idolatry? I know people will say, oh, that's just, they do that and that religion does that. I want to tell you something, friend. There's idolatry everywhere. It's image worship. Pop stars, footballers. We have it everywhere. Sorcery is magic. Well, the Greek word is actually where we get our word pharmaceutical from, or pharmacy. Drugs, contention, hatred, strife, variance, wrangling, emulations is jealousy. We cannot do the things that we want to do because of the flesh. Jealousy in the church, jealousy. Bible says jealousy is cruel as the grave. It's as cruel as the grave. It's death. And then you have, I just call them a fist from the devil. Wraths, strife, seditions, heresies. It's like a fist that punches the body of Christ. I know it never happened in the church in Ulster. Factions, disunion, false teachers, people, people breathing out hatred to one another in the church. Envy, that's ill will towards a brother or a sister. Proverbs 14 and 30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy, the rottenness of the bones. Actually, the body rots when it's filled with envy. The body begins to rot. Is it no wonder that the world are saying there's a stink in that church because there's, it's filled with rotten bones? Drunkenness. Do you ever think you'd see a day when half the church are out getting drunk on a Saturday night and then coming to church on a Sunday morning? Raddest behavior. Paul says, and such like of which I tell you before as I've told you in the times past, they which do such things shall not inherit, shall not enter into the inheritance of the kingdom. But the fruit of the Spirit, the walk in the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. We're part of a different kingdom. Faith, meekness, temperance. There's no law against this. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, that is walk in the Spirit. 
Let us not be desirous of fame glory, provoking one another and envying one another. They sat in the tents, and the glory of the Lord was just beyond the tent door, resting over the tabernacle in all his fullness and all his glory. And the Bible says in Psalm 106, 24, Yea, they despised the pleasant land. They believed not his word, but they murmured in their tents and hearkened not to the voice of the Lord. It's nearly hard to grasp. Yet these are written for our examples upon whom the ends of the world have come. James says this, if you turn to James 3 and verse 13, I'm coming to a close in a couple of minutes. James 3 and verse 13 this is what James says, James 3 and 13. Who is the wise man <clears throat> and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth, because this wisdom descendeth not from above, but this wisdom where you find envying and strife and lying against the truth, this wisdom Descendeth not, but is earthly, sensual. And what does it say there? It's devilish. It's satanic. Listen to me. Listen, I want you to hear me now because a lot of people might be a little bit shocked, especially more in the traditional sense of the word, that this is actually satanic in the church. This is satanic behavior when they're looking at the church of Jesus Christ and they want to see the glory and who he is, the hope of glory in us, what they see is the manifestation of devilish practices. For where envying and strife is, verse 16, there is confusion and there is every evil work. Every evil work. Where there's confusion and strife, there is every evil work. But the wisdom, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, then it's gentle, and then it's easily to be entreated. I love that. In other words, sorry James, you're the man I'm picking on all morning. You got the wrong seat. We're not moving you to the back yet. But if I wronged James, do you know it's possible for me to wrong you? Do you know it's possible for you to wrong me? Emma knows that. That's the only one in here knows that. But if I wronged James, I says, hey bro, look, I want to try and get this right. I'm sorry. And James says, I'm not, look, I'm not, well, dead on. Whatever. Say sorry. Say sorry. I say sorry. That's it. But it's not sorted. He hasn't been easily won. I say, James, listen, I'm so sorry. I hurt you, bro. I didn't mean to hurt you, but I'm sorry. And James says, bro, look, there's no problem. Don't worry about it. We embrace each other. He's been easily entreated. He's easily won. But have you ever encountered someone that doesn't want to be entreated? Have you ever had a child that's... I'm not going to mention any names, but have you ever had a child... <laughs> They're not easily won over. Takes a wee bit of work. Takes a wee bit of time. 
Have you ever been in a position where you haven't been easily entreated? I'm not going to do a show of hands, but I would say most of us, maybe the odd one or two, you've always been easily entreated. I understand that. But they're not easily won. We take offense. We stop speaking. We walk down a different road. And that's, I walk this side because I don't have to meet them then. I know it never happened. It never happened in the church. God said, I'm wanting to move his pride, his remnant people. He wants to move. We've got to conquer carnality if we want to conquer Canaan. If we want the Jerichos, which I believe that's what God wants to be pulled down, then we're going to have to conquer something of ourselves. The wisdom that is from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy and treated. It's full of mercy. You'll find mercy with a man with wisdom. Good fruits without partiality. Here's the wonderful thing about the kingdom kingdom of God. There's no favorites. I'm going to say that again. There's no favorites. You're maybe struggling here because you might have thought you're number one, but listen, we're all number one. Listen, them four boys, I love them. They're great lads. I love them. We've reared them. We've tried our best, but they're great. We love every one of them equally. There's no specials. I promise you there's no specials. Even we, Joseph, he's not the special. (laughs) We love them all dearly. And we show that love to them. But let me tell you something about the house of God. There's no partiality. They might be the princes in 104 Lisburn Road and or the you might have a prince or a princess and you bestow everything upon them the best ever. They never do anything wrong. Tell your friend when they come into the house of God, there's no favorites. Actually, the least we're to bestow the most upon. The kingdom of God's amazing. It's completely this is not a McElrath church. It's nobody's church, it's his church. So there's no elevation of anybody. It's Christ. It's Christ. What happens often in church is, he's my wee favorite. No, no, no. That wisdom is from the earth. That wisdom is earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. Sorry, I know I'm bursting a few balloons here. But it is. What it creates is monsters in the church. That's what it creates. And so we serve and we love and everyone is precious and everybody's important. From the back right down to the front, we're all part of this glorious kingdom of God. To conquer Canaan, we must conquer carnality. Could you believe it that a loose tongue, a loose tongue could hinder the church from going forward? Could you believe that a gossiping tongue 
or a loose mouth could hinder, could actually hinder. Now, we cannot do the things that we want to do. And I know for one thing that everybody in this room wants to see God really move. We have loved ones that aren't saved. We have Jerichos. We know they're coming. That We know God's going to move. But do you think that the next time, you don't have to go from tent to tent anymore, by the way. Gossip travels so much easier in the networking of the devil's economy. Listen, a loose tongue can hinder what God wants to do. It's the wee member. Did you hear the biz? I'd rather not. What about, what about? And then it spreads. And then it's, well, let me tell you, friend. God wants to move a remnant church. You'd think, you would think that something so much more bigger than this that's hindering the church. You'd think it must be a massive devil. It must be a huge horde of demons. No. It's just your tongue. Romans 13 and verse 12. It says these words, and I believe you'll all agree with me. The night is far spent. It's too late. In the day, it's too late for games. It's too late for the gossiping and the bickering and the fighting and the this, that and the other. It's too late. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Now let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in riding and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness and strife and envying, but let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How do we deal with this flesh? We've all got it, by the way, just to let you know. I know some people here don't think they have it. I want to tell you, you do. I'm sorry. It's all the same. All our flesh is the same. What's the tool? The tool's the cross. Cross, the cross, the cross. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Will you take up the cross? His cross. Will you deny yourself and take up the cross? And will you follow Jesus? Will you die? Do you know, there's two ten tens. There's John ten ten. The thief. You know what, don't you say it with me? The thief comes before to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have, have it more abundantly. There's another ten ten that talks about destroying as well. It's 1 Corinthians 10 and 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, Listen, and they were destroyed. It's not always the devil that destroys. Murmuring destroys. Murmuring destroys. Can I tell you, it is just my opinion. 
I believe that murmuring has been one of the most effective tools in the church in Northern Ireland to destroying the work of God. God's moving His people to the verge of Jordan. He has a last day's remnant. He's about to move. But we've got to conquer carnality before we can conquer Canaan. Conquer carnality before we conquer Canaan. I want to tell you, friend, I'm excited. It may not have sounded an exciting message, but I know it's a real message for a real time, for the real hour in which we're really living in. And I want to move with God. And I believe as a people, we do as well. God's saying it's time. Lord, let the cross do its work in me. Let's pray together. Thank you.